The uh, church has a center aisle today because we had a wedding here yesterday. Uh, Kent Miller uh, married uh, Cheryl, and uh, Cheryl's from China. So we had a number of people all the way from China came to the wedding. We had a translator to translate into Chinese, into Mandarin, and uh, it was really kind of a fun celebration. I want to invite you to uh, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 again, if you would, page 979, I believe, in the Bibles there in the seats. You might remember that um, when Jesus was here, one of the things that um, Jesus said is that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. There is a thief, and he comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, in order that you might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, an abundant life, a rich life, John 10.10. So the world we live in is not a neutral place. It's not a neutral place. There's an enemy who is forever trying to throw things at us uh, that that are designed to steal away, to steal and to kill and to destroy uh, that which God is seeking to give us. And so We've been talking about the fact that God has provided us with some protection, with some armor, if you will, uh, for our soul. Our soul is extremely important to God. It's the eternal part of us. Jesus, in in fact, asked um, rhetorically, you know what? Uh, What would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would you gain if you gained everything you could gain in this life, but then lost your soul? as you passed out of this life. And of course, the answer is you wouldn't have gained anything. And so our soul is extremely valuable to God. And so it becomes the target of this thief, this enemy, the devil, who wants to try to undo it. And um, God offers us this protection. He gives us the truth. We've looked at that. He gives us righteousness. He makes things right between us. And he wraps our feet in readiness Uh, for whatever comes through the gospel of peace. You might say that the first three pieces of the armor that God provides for us are for all the time. Uh, They are pieces that are attached to our body. They're like an extension of ourselves, the righteousness, the peace of God, uh, the truth. Uh, They're conditions with which we live. They're immovable. But the next three pieces of the armor are a little bit different. A shield, a helmet, and a sword are things that we use, uh, but they're not attached to us in the same way as those other pieces of the armor. You'll notice here that uh, even the language changes. In verse 14, he says, you know, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on uh, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In verse 16 and 17, in all circumstances, take up the shield. It's not having put it on, but it's grabbing hold of it and taking it up. And uh, same thing uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And and take up the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and so on. And so the language even changes the first three pieces of the armor different from the second three. Um, one uh, last year, a uh, fellow by the name of Dallas Willard went home to be with the Lord. And uh, Dallas was probably uh, the best uh, Christian philosopher that we've, we had in our uh, day. 
He was very uh, articulate, very, uh, wrote a lot of different books. And uh, he was a very um, outgoing, joy-filled, optimistic, you know, loving personality. It was just uh, people who knew him really appreciated that about him. And uh, he was on an interview one time, and the interviewer asked him, you know, does anything ever get you down? Does anything ever take all this joy out of you? And uh, here's what he said. He said, I'll tell you what gets me down. He said, without missing a beat. It bothers me that Christ followers require so much prompting and conjoling to do God's work in the world. I know many pastors who must beg people to show up for events. They must beg people to use their God-given spiritual gifts to further his kingdom. They must beg people to read their Bibles and to pray and to tithe. Churches spend thousands of dollars producing emotional videos to move people to care for the poor. Because if they didn't show those videos, their congregations wouldn't really care for the poor. It just shouldn't have to be this way. A Christ follower's motivation should come from within. And so I think if we took seriously this armor that God provides, and we knew that we were safe with this armor, and we could be on the offense with this armor, we wouldn't be so afraid to engage the world. We wouldn't be so afraid to be evangelists uh, with the people that God brings in and out of our lives. And I think um, this armor is designed to equip us in order that we might be sort of fortified to do what God has called us to do. If we availed ourselves of the armor, I don't think we'd be quite so timid in our everyday Christian living. So in verse 16, we have available to us what's called the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And you'll notice in verse 16, it says, in all circumstances. In all circumstances. In every circumstance in your life. Anybody got any circumstances going on in your life? <laughs> Everybody has circumstances, right? We have available to us for all circumstances. Anybody's circumstances get through to their soul? And cause them to have thoughts and feelings and make choices that are the opposite of what God has designed for us to do from our souls? Um, what if your circumstances, what if your circumstances are really the arrows or the darts that are thrown at you uh, by the devil and aimed at your soul? Notice that 16th verse. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in all circumstances, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What if your circumstances were really the arrows that the enemy was shooting at you, aimed to get at your soul? Think Job. You remember the story of Job? Satan comes to God, you know, and says, oh, your guy Job, he just loves you because, you know, you treat him so well and you make his life so cushy and comfortable. And God says, you can take everything away and he'll still uh, love me and he'll still honor me and still keep his faith in me. And so Satan goes to start removing all the uh, circumstances, starts to attack all the circumstances. And his wealth goes and his you know, possessions go and his kids die. And I mean, the whole thing, and eventually his health goes. And um, still Job keeps his faith in God. But who's behind all those circumstances in Job's life? It's the enemy. And you know, when we don't take the enemy serious, it's pretty easy to think that the circumstances are coming to us from God. 
And we get mad at God for, you know, taking away those uh, circumstances that we wish would stay. But it's the enemy. And then I think that most people, when they're up against these kind of circumstances, think like this. They think, you know what? When the circumstances change, then my soul will be right again. And you can spend an entire lifetime trying to straighten out your circumstances in order to get peace in your soul. And a lot of people, they're working so hard to get all the circumstances right, thinking that my soul will finally find some peace after all the circumstances are made right. And I would suggest to you that that's a lie. Um, When circumstances change, it doesn't necessarily change our soul. The devil um, concentrates on the circumstances uh, in all kinds of areas. For Daniel, it's at his job. And uh, what a great testimony of how to take our faith and apply it to the circumstances of our life. To take that shield of faith and directly apply it to the circumstances of our life. But the enemy can come against us and affect our health. He comes against us and he upsets relationships. He disrupts families. He manipulates possessions. And if we're dependent on our circumstances to live successfully, if we depend on circumstances to live with confidence, we'll end up being defeated. And if we need circumstances to all line up in a row before we can, you know, have this experience of a sense of self-worth or meaning, uh, we'll be undone. Our soul, instead, is fed and nourished by the promises of God. The promises of God. You remember Jesus said one time, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How do we have this abundant life that Jesus came to give us? Well, we take the promises of God and we uh, believe them. We put our faith in them. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The promises of God don't change. Uh, The promises of God outlast the circumstances of life. Problems come into our soul because we don't trust the promises of God. The flaming darts, the circumstances of our life unsettle our souls often because we simply don't trust in the promises of God. Uh, why, doesn't, why don't you feel good about yourself? Why don't you love yourself? Well, because you really don't trust the love and the grace of God. Why are you uptight and why do we get anxious? Well, because we really don't trust the sovereignty and the wisdom of God. Why do we feel guilty? Because we really don't trust the forgiveness of God that comes to us through the blood of the cross. Why do we get angry? Because we really don't trust in the justice of God. Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay. And so the word for trusting in the promises of God in the Bible is the word faith. And God says that we have this shield of faith in every circumstance of life. Now, the Roman soldier's shield uh, that's being talked about here um, was like a door. It was kind of like what um, police use in riots. If you ever watch on TV and there's a, you know, a huge crowd, it's like the size of a door, and it was big enough so that you could hide your whole body behind it. It was the first line of defense. 
And that's the um, shield that's being talked about here. It was usually made of wood and covered in either tin or leather, which was designed to um, uh, put out the flaming darts that would be shot. The enemy would usually take arrows or darts, dip them in pitch, light them on fire, and then shoot them in a barrage at the enemy, hoping to start fires that would distract people and wound soldiers. And then would come the hand-to-hand combat. It's not unlike what we're doing with ISIS today, right? First, we're sending in these flaming rockets to kind of soften up the target, and then we start talking about um, sending in troops and so on. Well, Satan fires these circumstances into our lives to kind of uh, weaken us and to uh, make us question what's going on before he comes up close and personal with thoughts and lies and deceptions uh, designed to mess with our souls. And uh, God, however, has given us this shield of faith designed uh, to extinguish the flaming darts, to deflect the um, uh, arrows, to uh, reinterpret the circumstances. And notice again um, in verse 16 here, it says we are not fighting evil as some impersonal force, but we're fighting the evil one. Uh, Again, behind all of these negative circumstances in our life, there's a personality. Uh, And he has a design to steal and kill and destroy that which God is seeking to build. You might remember in uh, verse 11, you know, put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not other people who are really our enemy. Uh, But we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are all uh, names of demonic ranks, uh, if you will, of demonic uh, powers. And that's who we wrestle against, and that's what Satan commands. Uh, There would be no evil if there were no evil people. And there would be no evil people if there were no evil spiritual beings. And there'd be no evil spiritual beings if there was no devil who entered into God's creation and seduced our first parents. Why does God allow the devil to manipulate our circumstances? For the same reason he allowed the devil to manipulate Job's circumstances. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter, put it this way. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 12, uh, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Rejoice when you have an opportunity uh, to take a negative circumstance and apply your faith to it. It comes as a test for us. And I don't think the test is for God to know the condition of our faith. It's for us. It's so that we can know the condition of our faith. When these circumstances come at us and they undo us and they um, destroy our souls, then we can know that, wow, whatever happened to our shield of faith? What kind of condition is my faith in? It's for our benefit. If circumstances and other people and temptations and anger and guilt or bad habits or perpetual sins uh, push our souls around and affect and control us, uh, well, it's a deficiency of our faith. You won't get your life back by fighting the circumstances. 
you need to take um, the shield of faith. John talks about it like this in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the circumstances of the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, your faith. This is the victory that overcomes the circumstances in your life, your faith. And I think this is significant for us to know. The world um, doesn't overcome us, but we overcome the world. The Bible says that Satan is the small g God of this world. Jesus, when he was here in John chapter 12, said that Satan is the ruler of this world. But everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Faith alone enables us to protect our souls uh, from the arrows that are launched against us. So here's what faith is. Faith is the application of the promises of God to the circumstances of our life. Let me say that again. Faith is the application of the promises of God to the circumstances of our life. And faith is not just believing in God, it's believing God. There are lots of people who say they believe in God. In fact, the devil believes in God. It's a matter of believing God. You know, um, sometimes people believe in God, but they refuse to believe God. To believe God, we have to listen to him and especially to his promises. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Faith is the, is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. I would tell you that the only real basis for hope in a person's life are the promises of God. The real basis for hope in your life are the promises of God, which will not change. You know, um, if you think and ask the question, sort of do an inventory and ask, you know, well, what are you hoping for? Um, you ever put hope in circumstances? Well, I really hope that this works out. I hope that this circumstance changes. You know, I really hope that uh, this uh, works out and then become disappointed because we didn't put our hope in the promises that God made, but we put our hope in some circumstance changing. Or we put our hope in another person uh, coming through for us in some way. Uh, and then that person doesn't come through and we end up disappointed. I mean, in the end, whose life really turns out the way that you thought? Whose life turns out the way that we thought when we were younger, right? Nobody. Life, why? Because this enemy is throwing darts at us all the time. There are always circumstances coming to uh, change, you know, what we thought was going to happen. And so um, the only real basis for hope in life are the promises of God. And faith is the exercise of trusting in the promises of God. Uh, the second part of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And faith is the conviction of things not seen. Things not seen. Faith in the promises of God. You know, in the New Testament, Abraham is held up as the model of faith. Uh, Abraham in Romans is called, you know, the father of us all. Uh, God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and God makes um, some wild promises to um, 
to Abraham. Uh, you might remember the story of Abraham, but in chapter 12, um, uh, first couple of verses, uh, the Lord said to Abram, um, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Oh, that's the wild promises that uh, God makes to Abraham. In um, chapter 15 of uh, Genesis, um, again, God comes to Abraham and says, After uh, these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And he brought him outside and he said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then in um, chapter 18, God comes to him again. And in chapter 18 and verse 18, he says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now this is all before Abraham even had one son. And God makes these promises, and the Bible says that Abraham believed God. And uh, God counted that belief as righteousness. That's what made Abraham right with God, because he believed God's word. He put faith in the promises of God. And that goes on in the New Testament to be the basis for our relationship with God. Uh, God makes these wild promises. And, of course, Abraham did eventually have a son, Isaac. And over four generations, uh, Abraham's offspring did become a nation. And eventually they did live in Israel. And out of that nation, uh, Jesus came to bless all the peoples of the earth. But it all started with these great promises. Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. Abraham acted on what God promised. And so um, God comes to Abraham and he says, you know, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father and go to a new place. And so the Bible says um, he went not knowing where he's going. I always thought that'd be an interesting life verse. He went out not knowing where he's going because we don't know what's going to happen the next day. Uh, but um, somebody summarized Abraham's life like this. And I think it's really helpful to understand that faith is the application of promises to the circumstances of God. Uh, God came to Abraham and he said, move, go to a place that I'll show you. And Abraham said, where, where do you want me to go? And God said, I'll show you later. I'll show you later. And then God came to Abraham. He said, look up at the stars and, um, you're going to have lots of offspring. And, and Abraham said, how? I don't even have a son. And he's still asking that question 25 years after God made this first promise to him. And God says, I'll tell you later how. And then uh, Abraham finally has a son. And uh, God says he's going to become a great nation. And Abraham says, when? God says, I'll tell you later. 400 years later, they're slaves in Egypt. And not for 400 years. And eventually they become a nation. And eventually they settle in the land that we call Israel today. And then God comes to Abraham again, and he says, Now, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac. 
your only son, and I want you to sacrifice your son on Mount Moriah. I want you to kill him. And Abraham says, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. And in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham goes and uh, prepares to sacrifice this son of promise. See, faith is living on the basis of the promises of God. Faith is taking the promises of God and applying them to the circumstances of life. And Abraham is a great example of that. Faith is more than intellectual agreement. Uh, Faith is active dependence on the promises of God. And it's why the Bible says faith without works is dead. You remember in James, in James chapter 1, right at the very beginning, James writes and he says, you know, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Be all excited when you have a chance to take one of those flaming arrows from the enemy and hold up your shield of faith and watch that thing disintegrate as it hits your shield of faith. Count it all joy when you meet the trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, what's going on when we have those trials? Why does God allow it? Well, the testing of our faith. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy when you have the opportunity and the flaming missiles are coming in and you can take that shield of faith and put it right up to those circumstances in your life and watch them disintegrate and turn to nothing. Don't be afraid of the circumstances. Welcome the challenges for the testing produces steadfastness. Faith becomes, um, faith brings the promises of God to bear on the circumstances of life. Well, you know, one of the great, um, one of the great promises of God is the gift of eternal life. Life after death. Uh, the majority of people, I think, on our planet don't believe uh, this promise from God. Most people uh, believe that after you die, that's it. That the candle goes out and poof, you're gone and uh, we just cease to exist. They don't believe there's a resurrection. They don't believe there's another life on the other side of this life. Um, they don't believe we'll give an account of our lives to God. Uh, and if you don't believe this promise of God, you know, life pretty much loses its meaning. Uh, all of a sudden, what happens to... Um, um, Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa becomes the same. They just go poof, and that's the end. There's no rhyme. There's no meaning. There's no purpose to life without this promise of God. And if you don't believe the promises of God, life just tends to lose its meaning. And and the Bible says um, you might as well just eat, drink, and be merry if tomorrow we just die. Uh, But when you believe the promises of God and you apply the promises of God to the situations that come in your life, Uh, What a difference faith makes in every circumstance of life. And uh, in a moment, we're going to go over to the communion table. And we're going to um, once again remind ourselves of the great promises that are associated with the sacrifice of God's only begotten son on Calvary's cross. The promise of forgiveness, the promise of resurrection life, the promise of life after this life, and so on and so forth. Think of all the promises that are associated with what Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. How can we take those promises and apply them to the circumstances of our life? 
so the things that things like anger and bitterness don't crop up in our soul uh, things like guilt and jealousy don't crop up in our soul how can we take the promises of this eternal life and and apply them to the circumstances of life so that things like greed don't crop up and take root in our souls and free us uh, to be able to live this abundant life the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but i have come jesus said so that you can have life and that you can have it abundantly faith is applying the promises of god to the circumstances of life let's pray together our gracious god and father again we are so thankful for your word and for these pieces of armor and father the shield of faith to extinguish these flaming arrows or darts that come to us from the enemy designed to uh, upset our lives and distract us and soften us up so that we're uh, unguarded and i thank you father that our faith is given to us like a shield and i pray that you'll help us to strengthen our faith i pray that we would understand father that it's not changing the circumstances that protects our souls but it's strengthening our faith and taking our faith in the promises that you've made and applying them to the circumstances so that the circumstances are deflected away from our souls and our souls are protected in your truth and in your righteousness and in your peace thank you heavenly father for these pieces of armor in jesus name we pray amen it's always our privilege to invite to the lord's table all of those who have put their faith and trust in the person of jesus and uh, you need not be a member of our church but